0: Hello and welcome to another installment of the Christchurch Waco Catechesis uh, video series that we've been doing. Uh, we're going to be uh, continuing on with this discussion of the Ten Commandments, and uh, this is uh, the, we're going to look today at the Third Commandment, and this is on page 97 in the Catechism to be a Christian, an Anglican Catechism. That's available if you do not have a copy. Uh, we can get you one from Christ Church, but also you can order one on Amazon or through Crossway Publishing. I know that a number of people who have never been to Christ Church or watching these videos, so I want to remember that uh, you're out there and that you're getting some of this teaching, and uh, and invite you to participate in that. Uh, but before we begin, let us pray. Direct us, O Lord, in all our doings with your most gracious favor, and further us with your continual help, that in all our works begun, continued, and ended in you, we may glorify your holy name, and finally, through your mercy, obtain everlasting life, through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. We kick off today with a discussion of the third commandment, and the third commandment is uh, one that uh, many people know. If uh, I was to ask an average person, you know, let's let's ask you uh, kind of what are the what are the Ten Commandments? Uh, they might say, well, thou shalt not murder, and uh, maybe something about adultery, but definitely something about not taking the name of the Lord in vain. Um, because they know that, uh, or they might even just say, thou shalt not swear, or something like that. We're going to get into this. There's a great deal more to be said about this than most people presume, and uh, so I hope it will be really helpful to you. What is the third commandment? The third commandment is, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. Why is God's name sacred? God's name reveals who he is, his nature, his character, his power, and his purposes all forms of God's name are holy. You'll remember that uh, prior to the Exodus, uh, Moses was up on a mountain tending the flock of his uh, father-in-law Jethro, and he saw uh, there on the mountaintop this burning bush. And uh, he he's told to take off his shoes because the ground that he's standing on is holy ground. And when he begins to speak into the midst of this burning bush, the, out of the midst of the burning bush, uh, the Lord speaks to him. Um, and tells him that he will he will take he will just go to Pharaoh and he's going to uh, demand that the people of Israel be allowed to go uh, back up onto the mountain and worship uh, the Lord. Uh, keep in mind that the reason for the people's exodus out of Egypt originally is not to find uh, everlasting uh, freedom or a kind of to found a new uh, egalitarian society, but instead uh, for the purposes of worship, the people are brought out of captivity in Egypt in order to worship God on the mountain. And this is absolutely essential. They are to worship the God that their forefathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob had worshiped. And so they're brought, they they are to be brought out of that um, uh, captivity in Egypt for a time to worship uh, the Lord on that mountain. When Moses asks uh, uh, the Lord out of the midst of the burning bush, Who shall I say sent me? Um, Not only has God told him already that he is the God of his fathers, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, but now he gives this name, uh, and it's a name that had been used in Scripture already. But he says to Moses, Tell them that I am sent you. And the name that's used there is a name that, as I said before, has already been used in Scripture. And it's referred to, and I won't, I won't pronounce it today. I think, I think you know what it is. Uh, but you know, I, I can make a habit of not saying this word. Uh, and I don't, I don't know if it's superstitious or what. But, but I just, uh, I just don't say it. Uh, uh, but it's it's called in in technical language the tetragrammaton, this four letter uh, word, which often gets uh, translated as Jehovah or something like that. Um, but but it is actually the, the Hebrew word yod heh vav heh and uh, and it means simply, I am. Uh, it, it means that God is actually being itself. And this name reveals who he is. It reveals his nature. He is uh, who it is. It reveals his character. That, that he is without change, without alteration. It reveals his power and his purposes. And therefore, the name of God is holy. Um, and uh, as the Jewish tradition went on leading up to the Second Temple period, uh, people stopped pronouncing the name. Um, it said that the high priest would go in on the Day of Atonement every year and would, uh, would uh, uh, pronounce the holy name of God once. Uh, but the scribes had a, had a tradition of writing in as they began to develop uh, uh, vowels. They would mark the vowel sounds over this tetragrammaton, yod He vav uh, with with uh, the vowel markings for Adonai, um, which means in Hebrew, Lord. Uh, today in Jewish synagogues, uh, people will simply uh, pronounce this name Hashem, uh, which is the name, um, because they don't want to even have the opportunity to take this name in vain. But let's ask this question. What does it mean to take God's name in vain? Question 250, 285. Vain means empty, meaningless, and of no account. To take God's name in vain is to treat it as such. Um, vanity is quite simply not to kind of look in the mirror and say, oh, how pretty am I? No, it, it's got nothing to do with it. I mean, it does mean that ultimately, but it, but it means that uh, we become uh, empty. Uh, we we think of our uh, of our image and of our what people see in us, as empty. Um, We think of of human life as meaningless. That's that's a kind of vanity. Um, When we think of the name of God as being meaningless and of no account, um, and we treat it that way in language, and not just in language, but in a whole bunch of other ways which we'll get into, um, it is to treat it as something empty. And it is the exact opposite of that. The name of God is not empty. The name of God is, in fact, everything. How can you avoid taking God's name in vain? Because I love him, I should use God's name with reverence, not carelessly or profanely. The Christian uh, speaks to God out of love, um, very much like a wife would speak to her husband. Uh, you may be married, and, and you may be the husband or the wife, depending, and and there may have been times when when a harsh word was spoken, and it seemed so out of place, and it seemed out of place because the the, the the reason is, well, you know, how can someone who, who professes to love me uh, speak so harshly to me? Speak so uh, dismissively? Speak so uncaringly towards me? Reverence of the name of God among Christians is born out of love of God, um, and so when we use words that are uh, that are empty with regard to God, it means it means that we don't love Him, and so. Um, or it's a sign that we may not love him. Uh, and so we should use God's name with reverence, uh, meaning what? Um, reverence means uh, to, to not be uh, shabby about it, right? To not be, um, in a sense, um, carefree or, uh, or, or without uh, awe. Um, The the catechism also says, without being careless or profane. Um, And uh, this is is an often thing that happened. We actually know, it's an interesting thing, Um, we know from Jewish history that the name of God was not always taken uh, so uh, uh, reverently. Um, In fact, there are ancient tablets that you can uh, dig up in in Israel and you can see them in museums that say something like, um, you know, may... Jehovah, bless you by his, and then there's like all these idols and things that are named. Um, uh, it is to say that this was something that was a problem among the people to speak of God in this way. Um, keep in mind as well that when Moses comes down from the mountain with the, with the tablets of stone, uh, Aaron is there, and, uh, and Aaron says, behold your God, or behold the Lord your God, and he's actually referring to this name. Um, but it is to say that we have to not be, uh, not be, not be profaning God's name, um, not being uh, flippant about it. I think that's a good word to say. Question 287, how might you use God's name profanely? By the unholy use of God's holy name, especially through perjury, blasphemy, and attributing to God any falsehood, heresy, or evil deed, as if he had authorized or approved them. Now, there's a lot to be said in this answer, but the unholy use of God's name includes things, yes, like perjury, if you're ever before a court and you've sworn, you know, you have to to say, remember this, you give give the, the, uh, so help me God. Um, Perjury is a kind of uh, taking the name of the Lord in vain, Um, to issue that kind of false witness and we'll talk more about false witness when we get to the end of the commandments but but it is a kind of uh, speaking by swearing in the name of God uh, that you're that you're giving the whole truth and nothing but the truth and then saying something else um, blasphemy is another uh, way of saying this and blasphemy is a very uh, very dangerous thing uh, in scripture um, and I'll say a little bit more about that uh, but but to blaspheme, is to attribute evil to God. Um, to say uh, either the reason for this evil happening is God's will, or to say the reason for uh, for this, um, or to say to look at a demon, for instance, or some kind of demonic act and say, God did this. Um, in fact, Jesus refers to this as blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, to say that uh, something which is clearly, to the Christian, a a work of the Holy Spirit is evil. Um, That's to take the name of the Lord in vain. Also to attribute to God falsehood, to say that God speaks falsely or to say that God um, uh, invites us to believe falsehoods such as heresies um, or evil deed um, as if he had authorized or approved them. Now, a lot of Christians get in trouble with this because they have been taught to believe uh, in the sovereignty of God. Um, they've been taught to believe that nothing happens outside of God's will. Um, Christians have classically, and throughout the tradition, have said something uh, very important about this, which is that not everything that happens in creation is, um, is because of God's active will, but instead because uh, he permits it to happen. And it doesn't happen because it's his will, but someone else's will, like our will, or it's simply the way things are in, in the created order. Um, and this is this is essential. Okay, uh, let me give you an example of this. I always I always use this, and so if you've heard this before, I, I apologize. But you know, my kids love to climb on furniture, and one of the pieces of furniture they love to climb on um, is our couch, and we always say, you know, "Don't climb on the back of the couch." <laughs> Uh, because because you 'll fall and you'll get hurt, and all of that, and invariably what happens is they climb up the couch, on the back of the couch and then they fall and then they get hurt, and then they come and 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 you know fine i mean that's that's the way parenting is, but um, you would not say of that that it's my will as a father that my son or my daughter climb on the back of the couch, fall off, get hurt, etc it's not my will that that happens um, I cannot um uh uh sort of um, uh shut down the will of my children <laughs> uh because they have their own will, and if they have their own will, then there are things that they will, but that I simply allow to happen. um I could certainly uh keep my children uh, uh chained up in the basement, although you know it'd be a terrible father to do that, but that would keep them from doing anything that would hurt themselves and 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 uh, but I think there's a kind of view that says. Uh, this is actually right where we get to the problem of evil. For instance, um, is there's a view that says God would be a better God, or would be, or would be, or would be God, if He never permitted human beings to do anything evil at all, or anything that was malicious. And the problem with that is that that would entail a certain curtailing or a certain taking away from human freedoms. So we have to take these things into account. There are things that God permits, just as I permit. Uh, Things to go wrong in my household, you know the, the, the children are told you, you can't uh, at a certain age you, you can't get milk for yourself, and invariably you come to the kitchen and there's a gallon of milk on the floor spilling all over the place. Why? Well, because they didn't do what my will was. Okay? We say that all the time that we do things that aren't God's will. So some of this um, language of sovereignty has to be has to be amended a bit, quite a bit actually. Um, and I would say that that one of the best ways to speak about it is to say, "Is God? Is does God?" Uh, reign as king in creation? Well, yes, that's what this image behind me is about. Uh, Jesus Christ reign as king over his creation. Now, does this mean that everything goes according to his will? No, that's why we pray "Thy kingdom come, by will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Um, God's will um, is that that will happen, yes. And yes, that uh, that there will come a day when, um, when the will of God in heaven is the same, or the will of God on earth is the same as it is heaven yes we pray for that um and that means that he is king yes um and and we wouldn't we wouldn't say that of anybody really you know we wouldn't say like you know uh, i was in england last november and and you know i, I saw something that you know let's just say um, you know, who knows what uh let's say that uh, that uh that someone pushed me <laughs> in a queue okay and, and i say well Queen Elizabeth must not be queen anymore. no I would never say that she is the sovereign of England and that bad things happen in her king in her in her uh, in her domain or realm doesn't mean she's not King anymore than uh, it means that Jesus Christ is not king when uh, when terrible things happen within his creation okay so that's just to say that and so the, prov- the sovereignty of God means that he is King over creation and Lord of creation that's what the root means I am I am. Um, but it does not mean that there are not other things going on, um, other wills, other things that are uh, built into the order or lack thereof of a, of a broken creation, um, a creation that is not a unity with itself. Okay? So that's an important thing to keep in mind. And I think, I think uh, just on a, on a more personal note, um, and take this for whatever uh, you will, but, but that's, a, that's a view that's done great damage church, because it's, it tends to say that if something really terrible or evil happens, it's because God wills it. And so people can easily get this picture of God as sort of doling out judgment on his people. And that's quite wrong, actually. Um, and, it, and it sort of breaks down the will of God. Um, and it, it really is a violation of what, what classic um, classic Christian theology simply calls divine simplicity, that, that, that God is... Um, Is constant um, in his love, and uh, and, you know his love might mean, in fact, that that uh, that that things that we find less than pleasant happen, um, but it does not mean that God actively wills to harm or or hurt. Um, And that's a big that's a big distinction. And and we should even say things like the the judgment of God is loving. Um, The judgment of God is not it's not retributive. This has gotten us into huge problems, uh, and I'm not going to go on forever about this, but it's gotten us huge problems because we we believe, uh, for instance, in modern in the modern world that that justice um, should involve a certain amount of retribution, Um, and uh, and Christians have have stood against this by and large. They've said instead, um, judgment means to set things at right, and 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 if they can be set to right, then great. Um, uh, But this is to say that. Um, And I think it's really important that we human beings have a will and we exercise that will constantly. Um, Sometimes we uh, exercise the will in in accordance with God's will, sometimes not. And bad things happen when that takes place, right? We can say that very, very strongly. Um, But it is quite wrong to say that uh, God has done something evil uh, or has authorized some kind of heresy. And I would actually say it does actually rise to the level of a heresy to say uh, that God does evil things. All right, so we're going to move on. Question 288. How might you use God's name carelessly? Cursing, magic, broken vows, false piety, manipulation of others, and hypocrisy, all cheapen God's name. These treat God's name as empty of the reality for which it stands. Let's break this down a bit. The first thing we think about when we think about taking the name of the Lord, your God, in vain is cursing, right? Uh, We we know that uh, foul language, is, is not something that God approves of, um, although uh, I, think, I think we could be a bit nuanced about that. I, I think it was Flannery O'Connor Dr. Wood talks about this, uh, uh, who said, you know, you should save your best curse words for, for the absolute occasion on which they're needed, um, uh, but, but don't use them flippantly. There, there are times when language needs to be uh, firm and, uh, and expressive in that way. Most of the time, that's not the case. We do know that uh, in the New Testament uh, there are some examples of what we modern people might find to be rather coarse expressions. Um, and some of that is just a kind of cultural thing, and that's not to say it's bad, it's just to say it's more a cultural thing than anything else. Cursing in the biblical sense, put it this way, cursing in the biblical sense, um, is to either damn someone, um, speak an anathema against them, which, um, which is not just to say that uh, that you that you curse them and say, you know, well, but but it's simply you say, go to hell. Um, uh, that's a curse, um, according to uh, to Jesus. Whoever calls his brother rakah or fool will be liable to the fires of hell. Uh, and uh, this is to say that uh, that Jesus definitely says, do not curse your brother. This, this cursing is evil. Magic. Um, This is not the kind of, like, uh, Las Vegas magic, but the idea that that things could be manipulated within creation, uh, that uh, there's a very dark, uh, dark uh, art involved here. Um, We can also speak of broken vows. Jesus says about broken vows that we should let our yes be yes and our no be no, um, that we should not make promises that we either don't intend to keep or can't keep. Uh, this is an absolutely important thing for the Christian because your your integrity is staked upon it. So if you want to say yes to something, but you don't know that you can do it, my advice to you is always just say, "Well, you know, I'm going to have to see about it, um, but I really can't promise you anything." But if it's your desire, to, you know, I really want to help you in this regard. I don't know what I'm going to be able to do, but I but I'm but I'd like to help you instead of saying, "I promise you, uh, this will happen." You can't make that promise. Um, we also speak, for instance, and this is important as well, um, of the marriage vows, which are taken before God, or, or ordination vows, which um, I've taken and which the other priests of Christ Church have taken. Um, uh, violation of those vows, violation of baptismal vows, um, are kind of using the name of God carelessly. False piety. This is uh, to. Project an image of your own faith and your own uh, Christian practice that is not authentic, um, and I think you know we're all guilty of this. Uh, you know that we go through certain motions, we go through certain actions, we don't mean them from the heart. Uh, we're just trying to project an image. Some of this uh, can, you know, for instance, be used to teach us how uh, to to carry ourselves, especially in prayer and in worship. Um, but but over time, um, the, the goal should be to be authentic in those dispositions. Um, this is actually one of the areas where Christian liturgy actually teaches us how to do this, because it doesn't say, um, you know, if you'd like, do this or do that. Um, it simply invites us to be a part of something uh, which is outside of us, which may be not what we would want to do, and maybe not what draws attention to us, um, and uh, and so you simply enter into it, and it kind of rails against what we really want, what we desire. Uh, but here's the great thing about liturgy: it forms those desires uh, so that we actually want them, and it is it is uh, not false; it is it is authentic. Um, so that's a, a good a good plug for the liturgy. Uh, manipulation of others: um, there is so I, I say this as a pastor. There is so much manipulation today. Um, People uh, have often grown up in manipulative uh, families, and and so it's the way they learn from a very young age to interact with others. Um, They manipulate without even knowing it. Um, And and the only thing that I can say to you is if you find yourself to be one of those people, uh, seek some help. Uh, You might actually get into counseling to try to work through these manipulative things. Um, But manipulation, uh, you know, most often is something like, I know you don't want to do this thing, but I'm going to play the emotional game, and I'm going to uh, work you over to get you to do something I know you don't want to do. And uh, and that is manipulation. Um, I'm going to I'm going to uh, hit at your deepest motivations um, uh, to get you to do what I want. Um, and Christians cannot. I say this. Cannot um, be found guilty of manipulation um, because what manipulation builds over the long haul um, is resentment and it builds uh, hatred and it builds all kinds of, of, uh, of troubles. Um, it also, uh, you know, you think of a you think of a parent of an older of an older child maybe you're in your twenties or thirties and and you think, oh, my mom's being manipulative or my dad's being manipulative. Okay, well, let's talk about that. Um, it's things like this. Um, you know, you know, uh, we have some money uh, set aside and, and we could talk about whether or not we'd like to give that to you, uh, but first we need you to do this and that and another thing. thing. Well, that'd be very overt. But sometimes it's, it's kind of behind the scenes, this manipulation. And it's the idea that uh, a that, uh, child's love can be bought. Well, that's manipulation um, and, and you can see it very quickly. Um, I would urge you to actually get in touch with this. <laughs> uh, we human beings actually have a, a, a manipulation uh, sensor in our, in our, I think it's right in the middle of our souls that says, uh, you are being manipulated. And the way that you can know this um, is is to simply pay attention to how you feel when someone speaks to you or requests something of you. You know, when that email comes across and you go, mm-hmm. Being manipulated. <laughs> when that phone call comes across, you're like, "Oh, why? You're being manipulated." Um, so, the 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 advice of Jesus is actually that on here. Let your yes be yes, and let your no be no. Um, no is an incredibly powerful word. I think it's the most important, powerful word in the English language. Um, if you say no and mean it, it says to someone, um, "I'm not going to be uh, pushed around by you," and and I'm not going. Uh, to let language uh, and in the language you're using uh, make me a liar. Because what happens when you let yourself be manipulated, especially m- emotionally, is uh, is that you get manipulated by doing things you don't want to do and that aren't freely given. And, and God wants our language to flow freely, where we take responsibility for it and we also have this freedom in it. So, uh, I would encourage you, if you struggle with that at all, um, get some help. Uh, a good counselor can help you uh, to work through uh, manipulation. But what do these do? The Catechism says that these cheapen God's name. And I love that, uh, that phrase. Um, God's name, what is it? Would you say majestic? Would you say rich? Um, there's a cheapening of it. Um, meaning that it can be quickly purchased, easily gotten. Um, for very little. Uh, The reality of it is that God gives of himself freely to us, but it does not mean there is no cost to it. We know what the cost is. The cost of of God's gift of himself to us looks like the cross. Uh, And so when we uh, use God's name cheaply and in a way that kind of says, oh, you know, uh, it's not lavish, it's not rich, it's not uh, majestic, we really do end up cheapening the cross. We cheapen God's name. The catechism continues: these treat God's name as empty of the reality for which it stands. So whenever we use the name Jesus Christ, or the name, even the name Christian, or the name Church, or uh, or simply God, uh, or anything for that matter, that refers to the reality of God. It is to treat it as empty. Um, And and the the name of God is anything but empty. Last one for this section. Question 289. How can you honor and love God's name? I honor and love God's name in which I was baptized by keeping my vows and promises, by worshiping him in truth and holiness, and by invoking his name reverently and responsibly. I love how the catechism. God's name is not simply to be spoken, but to be honored and loved. The name of God. Love the name of God. Um, And this means that, that we give of ourselves. We put something of ourselves out there when we use the name of God and use the name of God well. Furthermore, the Catechism speaks of the fact that when one is baptized, and some of you are not baptized, and some of you are, most of you are, you weren't baptized um, in in a way that was like, um, I, I, I baptize you, uh, you know, in in the name of God. Uh, that's not what Jesus says to do. Right? Uh, but also in the Anglican tradition, we ask uh, for your name. So uh, when I've got a baby in my arms, I say, "Name this child," and, and they say, you know, "Whatever the." baby's name is, and then I say the child's name, so maybe it's uh, Matthew, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. If I've got an older person, what is your name? They give me their name, and I say, so-and-so, I baptize you in the name of the Father and the Son of the Holy Spirit. What they're doing is they're setting aside the name that they've been called before and taking on a new name, which is the name of the Trinity into whom they're baptized, and um, this is a profound, profound truth. We see it uh, actually most acutely in, in the book of Revelation where the name of the lamb is tattooed across the forehead um, because it is, a, it is a, a, a christening of sorts, of the Christian. Um, and that's in fact really what it means to be christened. What is your Christian name and what name were you baptized? And this means that the Christian is set apart um, in the truth of God and in, in, uh, as as, in fact, chrismated. We we use oil on the forehead, we say. Matthew, um, you are sealed by the Holy Spirit and marked as Christ forever following the baptism. Um, You are marked as a Christian, as one who is anointed, much like Jesus himself is anointed by the Holy Spirit. and so that, what is that anointing for? Well, it's for the speaking of truth, particularly the truth of the gospel, but also the truth in worship of God's name. In the ancient church, uh, it was understood almost uh, across the board that uh, one who was not baptized really couldn't pray or worship properly because they did not have the Holy Spirit dwelling in them. They were not anointed for that end. Um, and so uh, many times, the very first time that someone would pray in the name of God was to pray the Lord's Prayer. Um, John Chrysostom says that, that uh, after uh, someone would be baptized in his church, they would come up out of the water and he would take their hands and set them on his head and say, now pray for me. And the prayer that they would pray is the Lord's Prayer. Uh, why? Because In baptism, we are taken on as children of God who have God as our Father, um, who become joint heirs with Christ. And so uh, to treat God's name without that reference, without that love, without that honor, is is really very much like like cursing your father, cursing your mother. Um, And we carry out this vocation to speak the truth by worshiping the Lord in truth and holiness, Um, I love what what the the scriptures say. Uh, Worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. And by invoking his name reverently and responsibly. Um, These two words, reverently and responsibly, both with with, with reverent awe, uh, but also taking the responsibility that it is to speak the name of God and speak it well and speak with honor and holiness and reverence uh, is ours. Um, And so to guard our mouths uh, from those things is so important. Um, One of the things that that, uh, often comes up in the midst of this conversation is people will say, you know, I have a really hard time uh, with cursing. I curse often, and, and what would you suggest I do about it? And And uh, I give a couple pieces of advice. Um, One is to start to go on a a media fast. So maybe it's you've been watching TV with a lot of those kinds of things that are you've been watching this or that another thing, and the the language is coarse. Um, Take it down a notch, right? Uh, What you what you are exposed to will also come out of you. Um, But I would say, in a deeper sense, one of the things that we have to do is practice the hallowing of God's name in the life of prayer and uh, this this starts with uh, the Lord's Prayer as a template uh, but it also continues on with doing things like praying the Psalms um, regular uh, practice of using holy reverent language beautiful language um, much as uh, you know someone who is uh, obsessed with perverse images there are many to be reversed um, uh, Images of the human body, images of, of gore, and uh, the rest. Um, my advice would be, you need to be seeing beauty on a regular basis, real beauty. Um, because the, the Christian's teaching on language or on art is not that, uh, that, um, that uh, for instance, when you look at the human body, that it, is, uh, that it is coarse in and of itself, but that it can be manipulated coarsely. Um, and, uh, and, and the reason that we, for instance, cover our bodies is not because they're evil, but because they're so beautiful. And so to uncover those things um, on, uh, in a coarse or perverted way is, is, uh, is, is, is evil and wrong. Um, in the same way language Language that is beautiful overflows the categories that language is typically used for. And so I want to encourage you in this. Um, if you're struggling with that, you know, read some poetry, for crying out loud. You know, read scripture. Read read some beautiful language. Read some books uh, that, are, that are true and good. Read some novels that speak of beauty. Um, and, and you'll start to see that turn in you. Um, the, other, the other thing that I might offer, too... Uh, would be I had a friend several years ago who uh, who used to kind of keep a, a, a cursing jar in his in his office, and every time he, he cursed, he would drop a quarter in there, and uh, he found that he was buying a roll of quarters about every three or four days uh, just to keep this thing full, and then he then he'd give it away, uh, but he found that over time this kind of curtailing of his uh, of his desire to be so coarse in his language uh, went away because he was able to do this, um, but just a, just a suggestion. With that, may Almighty God bless you in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit.